Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Rachel Linhart, a driven community leader with a passion for making the performing arts available to all people. And now, the Live Your Purpose Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. My guest today is Rachel Linhart, who currently serves as Group and Community Engagement Coordinator for Lyric Theater of Oklahoma. Her focus is to make performing arts accessible to everyone. She's a graduate of St. Ambrose University, where she earned a BA in Public Relations and Marketing Communications. In the past year, Rachel has been awarded the Horizon Award by the Young Professionals Network of Oklahoma City, and was a recipient of the Oklahoma Gazette's 40 Under 40 Awards. Rachel currently serves on the Board of Directors for the Plaza District. She is also a big with big brothers, big sisters, and an active member of Leadership Oklahoma City. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you, and we're here on location at the Lyric Theater, back in one of these amazing rehearsal rooms. We are. Yeah, so if we wanted to, we could start playing the piano and maybe sing a song. It wasn't scripted, but... But Hey, I'm open to it. You're open to it. Okay. So as you may know, we start each of these episodes with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours. So we'll do that and just see where the conversation takes us. Okay. So Rachel, what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? So this is a... if If I'm being completely honest, a very deep question... So when I think of the struggles, I I had a good childhood, but not without some some bumps in the road. Um, My mom divorced my dad. They got a divorce when I was just really little, remarried. Uh, My stepdad played a, a great role in my life growing up. But then they divorced, my mom and stepfather divorced when I was in middle school, high school. It's kind of long. And for a while, I actually was uh, forced to live with a friend's family. And I remember very vividly pretty much running the household while my mother took care of her parents, both of which passed from terminal cancer within three months of each other. And they were way across the st- I'm from Illinois, small town in Illinois. So at the age of 16, I was driving from Northern Illinois down to St. Louis, about a six hour drive by myself, just so I could see my mom go back up and kind of raised myself for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think about that and I think I could have done one of two things, Um, did what I did, which was at the time really immersed myself in my church. My family didn't go to church, but I was really drawn to it. Uh, praise and worship and um, just being involved in something that was I think where I started to learn more about servant leadership or I could have just rebelled and partied and and, um, really acted out but I was kind of a a guilty kid and just wanted to do the right thing so I didn't get in trouble 
so that I think really shaped me because I didn't know a lot of kids that were going through some of the things that I was going through. And then as far as triumphs go, um, I have, I'm still very close with all of my family. Just because those things happened when I was younger doesn't mean that I re resent anybody for them. So as, as far as triumphs, I've laid roots in Illinois, Iowa, Texas, and now Oklahoma. So having to start fresh each time and somehow figure out how to succeed is something I definitely look back on and am grateful for those experiences because it makes it that much easier taking risks. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so, and not to interrupt you, but to catch up on, on some of what you shared, the struggles that you uh, mentioned growing up. So there, there was divorce in, in uh, your mom and dad's marriage. And then your stepdad played a major role in your life, right? You mentioned, and then they were divorced. And then at some point you started kind of figuring out how to raise yourself. So were you, were you like, I'm sure you had people in your life because you mentioned church, but mm -hmm. who were some of the, like, who were some of the influences for you because you were doing so much on your own? Well, my grandmother was a huge influence and she, her name was Ruth. Um, she passed away about a year ago on September 11th. Mm. And she, I, I could listen to her for hours and this woman could talk for hours and every once in a while check in to make sure you're still listening. But she just, uh, she survived the Great Depression, had to move away from all of her family and friends at a very young age to kind of be a maid for a couple in Illinois. She's from North Dakota. And hearing her story of survival, and she always had this mentality that was very, don't let your, um, don't let your setbacks define you. Don't make excuses for why you can't strive for something bigger and better. Yeah. She was always dressed really sharp. Her home always looked fantastic. Some of the best landscaping in town. And I'm like, woman, she, to me, she is who I strive to be because she always kept a sense of humor too. Okay. And my aunt falls very much into her uh, footsteps and my aunt's somebody that I look up to, my Aunt Jamie. And then I've also got on my, my stepdad's side, I've got my grandma Lena who is still with us and she's amazing. Um, she survived, you know, a lot. She, she's African American and has pretty much lived in all white towns most of her life. So the older I get, the more I realize, for example, she, ha she has one of the first selfies with Barack Obama that she took on a manual camera <laughs> before selfies were a thing. Yeah. And it was published in the newspaper before he became president. And she's always been a really big supporter and has taught me why it's important to um, support minorities before I even understood what that meant. Mm -hmm. So she's been really important. My aunt Edie's been really important. I mean, um, when I think about people I look up to, I, I've been surrounded by inspiring people. Yeah. And you've just got to be able to see that in people and what they've been through and recognize that. Right. And, and you did, because um, it, it sounds to me like you were going through this major transition and, and trying to find your way ahead, but had those influencers. And you mentioned as you started talking about them, they started cropping up, you know, yeah. from uh, Grandma Ruth, who, who showed you um, how to not let your struggles define you or your setbacks define you, you know. And, and she gave you that, we could call it persevering mind or just figure it out mind. Yeah, kind it's of, funny you say that. Right? I say that all the time. Oh, you do? Yeah. 
I know I it's a it sign. Of, I know. So uh, full transparency, I know that it's a sign above your desk because you shared yeah. it on social media at one time. <laughs> so I did want to bring it into the conversation. It just popped up now, yeah. not on purpose. But yeah, but tell me about that. You know, figure it out. What What is that? Uh, what role does that uh, Figure out is a mindset it? of no excuses. Mm-hmm. Just figure it out. And that's how I roll. And it sometimes motivates others around me. Sometimes it drives them crazy because people are asking, uh, take for example, my wife. She hates when I say it because she'll come to me with a problem and she'll say, okay, what do you, what do you think about this? And I don't have time to, to think of step by step because I'm trying to move on to whatever I have to get to next. Maybe it's a show. I'm in between breaks between the regular workday and the show because we do 180 performances in this year just at Lyrics. That's three or four a week. And wow. I work in the box office. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know, just figure it out. And that's not I don't mean that as a cop-out. I mean that as there is a solution to everything. There really is. And if we just take the time to really think about the resources that we have, we can figure out solutions. There's no like end-all be-all. And that's really all that is. It's a really s- simple way to say, keep going. Yeah. And you can and you can literally find the solution. So figuring it out means from what I'm hearing, this is my interpretation, when you say that to your wife, you're really saying there's a solution here and and I believe that you can find it, right? That's yes. the other piece of it, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's it's also trusting those around you. When I say yeah. that to people, it means that I, I trust you. If I try to do something for you, it means I'm not completely sure if you're able to find that solution and it's better if I help you. Mm-hmm. But if I if you ever hear figure it out for me, it's not me trying to be rude it's me saying i trust you i know you can do this okay well i'm going to keep that in mind and that's really good um advice for all of our listeners that are that are keying in right now to this part of our conversation that you know uh, part of these dialogues that i hope to bring to our community's awareness is that there are problem solvers in the community there are people out there um, day in and day out finding creative solutions to community problems whether it's you know, how are we going to get uh, show number 179 off and, and, you know, be successful? Or whether it's how are we going to s- solve some um, problems at home? Maybe they're landscaping problems, you know, or, or what to have for dinner. But just to have that solution-centered mindset is, is a tremendous asset. I've found that in my own life. And not to reflect too much on myself, but as you were sharing some of your struggles and you, you knew there was this fork in the road and you could go down the, you know, the doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, and or go and rebel. Well, I kind of had a mix. You know, I chose a lot of rebellion in my own path, and so that led me down some different paths. And so to know that, um, to hear you talk about choosing that road and what that's meant for you all this time, no wonder, you know, you're solution-oriented instead of like there's a problem and I'm going to rebel against it and, and be defiant against the things that aren't going my way. I never even really thought of it like that, but now that I'm, I'm looking back, I'm going, yeah, well, maybe, maybe that was what was going on. I'm a very live-in-the-moment kind of person, yeah, yeah. so sometimes I don't even um, realize what's taken place until afterwards. I'm like, whoa, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and that may not be exactly right, what I'm saying. You know, That's just how I'm kind of processing and hearing it. And, but, but back to your own interpretation, your own thoughts about you know, once you got into the triumphs areas of your life, you, you came through this, um, this phase in your, in your teenage years. And, and 
when did that sense of struggle and uh, kind of begin to diminish? And then you started saying, you know what, there's opportunities for me. I'm going to pursue some degrees. And It ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, I, I've gone through one of the things I was really torn about. There's been a couple things. I have always been torn on, because I, I studied vocal performance for a while. I've sang at Carnegie Hall. I've sang at Jazz at the Lincoln Center on scholarship as a solo artist. Um, I've toured as a punk rock drummer. I've done all kinds of music stuff. So I thought for a while I was supposed to pursue music. It's really, really hard to make a living doing that. And I even moved from Illinois to Austin, Texas. Um, and at the time I was in a five-year relationship and um, that moving to Austin, I thought I'd be there for a while, ended up coming to Oklahoma City because my um, relationship, my uh, partner at the time, he was going to law school at OCU Law. And I thought, well, this is where we gotta be. We're like six years into the relationship now. So I went from shifting gears to a nine to five, then pursuing a dream of music, and then coming back and doing a nine to five, um, working for a corporation here in Oklahoma City, trying to figure out what made me happy has been, it's taken me 30 years. I did not realize what made me happy until I'm in the position where I'm at now. And then what is it about this position? So that to me was a lot of, it may have seemed uh, really glamorous doing music and things like that um, from the outside, it's like, oh, I know Rachel, she's a singer in Austin and she's doing all these shows, but really I don't think I was fulfilled. Um, now I am and um, that's been something I've had to figure out. And then of course the, the second thing I've been trying to figure out for a while and I've been really fortunate about is um, coming out. Yeah. And that's something that I used to hide even when I was out for a while. I wouldn't use pronouns. Um, in corporate America where, where I was at, they would say that the workplace environment they were trying to create was diverse, but it was actually really full of a lot of um, individuals who would, in my personal opinion, this is just my reflection of it, and I've heard it's very different now in this particular work environment, um, they would mask homophobia with the Bible. And it was so hard because I am the kind of person that wants to respect those around me. Mm -hmm. So I would find myself compromising who I was and hiding who I was. Well, there was nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. I see. As yeah. soon as someone asked me, like, what did your husband do? <laughs> That's an awkward, uh, okay, where do we start? One, I don't have a husband. I'm not married. Oh, you're not married. What's your boyfriend do? Uh, my girlfriend. It was so awkward. And this would happen daily. And those that were close, they're like, it's fine. It's great. Be who you are. That's fine. But there are another 2,000 people in the company that I interact with. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, all of the clientele that we worked with across the country, it was, it was challenging. Um, so becoming comfortable with that. And there are so many people I know that are scared to death to come out and um, that continues to be something that I, I when I think of uh, triumphs and, and also struggles, mm -hmm. I'm an empath so yeah. I absorb um, those that are around me, I almost absorb their um, feelings and what they're going through 
and not I'm not trying to say make this about me, but I want to I want to help people. Mm-hmm. So I think the struggle I'm at now is I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. How do I sustain this and make it um, something bigger than what it is? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't figured that out. Right, that's a question. I got to you... figure it out, but I haven't figured it out. Yeah, it's a question that you're holding, that you're looking at, that you're considering right now, mm-hmm. given what you've just described. And so where where this part of our conversation stemmed from was, um, you know, your transition from those those early years in your life to up to the point now where you, you became a, a vocal music performance major. Is that what you mm-hmm. were yeah, officially? Yeah. And, and you had these opportunities and you pursued that track. And I know that you still love to sing and perform, right? A little bit, yeah. A little bit from time to time. Okay. And so, um, but what you found fulfilling is in your role now that you get to play along with coming out. So that's where we kind of caught up to. Yeah. And... Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we talked about this at a, a recent live on the plaza, which was actually live on the plaza, featuring our dog friends, our furry canine pals, is an, an opportunity that you had with um, some local youth, some young people, to bring them into a show. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, I didn't want to use the names of the show and sure. all that in the group if you did. Okay, good. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So... Um... What I do is I am privy to information about how each of our houses are selling. And in my role as group and community engagement coordinator, um, if I see that we have a significant amount of inventory left, I've got about 10 to 20 groups that I've got ready in my phone that I can make a quick phone call to to say, hey, I have the seats available, we'll donate the tickets, and if you can figure out transportation, they're yours. And that's a very last minute thing. It's something we can't really plan in advance because we don't want to you know, take away from any sales opportunities um, for ticket buyers. But yeah, this particular group is uh, a homeless LGBTQ, I'm not saying this right, it's a youth shelter mm-hmm. that many of the youth are in this shelter because they've come out to their parents and their families and their families want nothing to do with them. Right. And it just pulls at my heartstrings because I'm very fortunate that um, I came out later in life. I'm 33 and I met my wife that I'm with now um, once I was single and there was, I was just drawn to her. I'd never had a girlfriend, but I was 26. I think when I told my family and everybody was very receptive. Mm -hmm. I had a rare situation yeah and this was before marriage equality too yeah that is that would have been 2013 Hmm. and then i think the federal law was passed in 2014 a lot of opinions have changed but we're still living in a pretty divisive world right now for sure and we're in a red state yeah okay so yeah um i donated some tickets to a show that we're doing because i knew that the kids would really enjoy it and they did we had about 20 come in from the shelter Mm -hmm. um i'll work with other groups that if I feel like they'll really appreciate a show, not just youth, um, I've got like a nonprofit that serves single moms and working on some tickets for a Christmas Carol. We've got other um, people who say, hey, I wanna help with this and it, Cat in the Hat's coming up. So I'm trying to figure out what school groups can't afford to go and remembering who said they might wanna help with something and pulling in those resources so those, these kids can come see the show. Yeah. And just providing those opportunities to have access to art, 
have yes. access to these performances yeah. that otherwise, you know, probably wouldn't be able to come or maybe not even know that they existed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was, I really appreciated you sharing that when we met. And, and this, uh, this facility, this uh, youth homeless shelter is uh, a place where I volunteer at also. And can we so, say the name? Is that I think we can. I just wanted to be careful for, out of respect of our conversation, but it's called SISU. Yeah. yeah S-I-S-U. Cool. And, and I'm a fan of what they're doing there. And yeah. so when, when I heard that you invited the young people from SISU out to, uh, to view Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. and, and that they had such a good time, you know, there's yeah. a lot of elements in that show that um, encourage um, acceptance of yeah. various orientations and gender roles and identities in a playful and um, dramatic way. Yeah. And so, you know, some of the responses that I think you, you've got that evening were very positive and they yeah. you know, had, a, so, had a meaningful experience. It's interesting. This kind of leads into another part of what's so rewarding about what I do. Our, our goal here at, at Lyric Theater is to uh, make sure that we tell the stories that represent all um, facets of our community. Mm -hmm. So part of that in Rocky Horror, a lot of people think of it as like a cult classic, right? It's like the party show. And yes, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at Rocky Horror is it's a story of individuality. And it is really what blew the door open for people in an era of um, AIDS epidemic, for people to own who they really were. And it was okay because it was so over the top. Like this is really where change makers come from. Mm -hmm. Think of like Stonewall, for example. You've got Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. But what where Stonewall actually began, a little bit of history, mm. is with a drag king named uh, Stormy De La Vray. And Stormy was the keeper of the LGBTQ bars, if you will. And a cop started harassing Stormy and she just wasn't having any of it, so the cop punched her, she punched the cop back. That's when Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera started the riot. But it's, it started with this, this like really strong individual, and mm -hmm. isn't that really what Frankenfurter is? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and over the some. top, yeah. and he's just <clears throat> owning uh, what he does, and the reaction when I was involved with Oklahoma City Pride, I was the uh, director of entertainment for Oklahoma City Pride oh, okay. this past year. Yeah. Someone came up to me and told me, thank you for all that you've done. You've really saved a lot of brown lives this year. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I started to look back at all the pictures, and it was the first time I'd really seen in the photographs, because we invited uh, many, well, four or five documentary-style photographers um, to shoot the whole uh, celebration. It was the first time that I can remember that I saw a ton of brown people in the crowd enjoying themselves because there was representation on stage. I see, right. And it was, this year's been really moving because things that I, that happened so naturally, I was like, yeah, of course we're gonna invite Urban Pride. Urban Pride had never been a part of main stage Pride before. It was a different entity, a different style of music, a different part of the LGBTQ community. I started seeing more youth. And I'm like, I still was trying to figure out in my mind why part of me thought it wasn't okay for youth to participate in LGBTQ culture. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the things within me that have so, um, I, I've been surrounded by, like being LGBTQ is wrong. Mm -hmm. 
don't try to convince our youth that it's okay. And so this year I've really tried to take a stand to go, no, you know what, Boys and Girls Club wants to perform on stage after the parade, they get a slot. And they did amazing. Um, CCU Youth is more interested in coming to Rocky Horror than A Christmas Carol because they can relate more to the story of a celebration of individuality and coming out. Yep, they're coming to this show. Of course, you know, make sure every everybody's over 13 because there's some mature content, but I've been thinking more and more about that and the, the stories that we're telling or the things that are going on and how to be more inclusive of, of everyone. And it doesn't have to do with just LGBTQ. Sure, right. It has to do with, with everybody. Yeah, yes. And, and one of the things that, that, again, through these conversations that I try to key in for myself, and hopefully some listeners do too, I think they will, is that, you know, a fuller expression and understanding of what it is to be human. Yeah. And, and so it's, anytime these examples are coming up that are very specific through specific lenses, I believe that the more specific we can get in different areas of our, our humanity, different areas of our society, our culture, our community, the more specific we can be there, the more general we can see through a lens of our common humanity. It's really paradoxical and ironic, but the more specific I can be, for example, about my own journey, my story, the more it seems to help people relate to their own story and their own lives. And sort of all of a sudden we belong to each other, even though we may or may not agree uh, in, our, in our lives or about issues or whatever we want to disagree with. There's plenty of that going on out there. But what's underneath the surface of the disagreement? You know, discomfort, misunderstanding. Sure. Yeah. Non-acceptance, you know, pieces of ourselves that we're blaming others for, you know, and we're projecting all that all the time. We're just afraid. All of these are factors that I think are, are below the surface. And, and as I hear you talk, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm hearing all the things that you've got going on, and you're inviting so much of the community to be represented, and it's through art that it's happening. Yeah, and um, we just actually takes me back to just a quick story I'll tell. Um, got married last November. Okay. November 10th was this big wedding, and... Um, What's so fun about it is that my wife and I are two very, I, I'm saying this about myself, other people can say whether or not this is true, pretty open-minded people, mm -hmm. um, regardless of your socioeconomic status, your age, race, um, political beliefs. If you get along with us, we get along with you. We don't care what everybody else is saying. It's, it's especially true for me because I was raised very... Um, a lot of what I was around when I was younger was very conservative. And um, fast forward, our wedding, we had almost every walk of life you could think of. So, for example, um, some of my family friends from Illinois, they are coal miners. Okay, They most certainly and openly voted for Trump. I've never seen them post anything. I, I had one rule of thumb. If you're homophobic and you're open about it and you have to take a stand, don't, don't bother coming, it's fine. But if you're willing to come to a, maybe your first gay wedding, awesome. Let us show you a good time. And they did. We had about 220 guests from all across the country, all walks of life. Probably had a, a nice even mix of like straight people to LGBTQ. It was my grandma Lena's first LGBTQ wedding, the compliments that we've received from that celebration are still happening. People tell us all the time, it's the best wedding I've ever been to. You know why? 
because I think people were going in apprehensive, mm -hmm. a good handful of people wondering what it was going to be like. Yeah. I had people tell me that because I'm kind of an open book. You can talk to me about whatever you want to talk to me about. But after it, they were like, it was the most fun wedding ever and it was so much fun. And it made my heart so full because people, it was, it was probably their first time around more than two gay people in the same room. And maybe for others, it was their first time where maybe they pegged conservative people or um, people that weren't like them. They, everyone was dancing and having a good time. And I thought if more, if more of you could just not pay attention to what everybody's posting on Facebook and their opinions and have meaningful conversations offline, yep. we get a lot further. We get so much further and we realize we have a lot more in common than what social media um, seems to, to project of us. Yeah, we do. When we're not behind our screen, you know, and there's, I, I engage in social media often. I know you do too. And <clears throat> I believe it has its limitations. And I think there's plenty of research if you want to go down that path to, to show that. But, you know, there's a part of ourselves that's just simply not engaged is how I put it when we're on social media. And we can craft sort of an ego identity or, or a limited version of ourselves online. I try to be m much more open, as you do too, on social media. I let people know about things in my past and in my present that are challenging or that you know I'm not sure about or failures that I've had in the past. As I give myself permission right, to be myself, it puts a lot more people at ease, I believe, and they've told me that so that they can be themselves. And it drops so many of the contentious arguments and guarded positions that people seem to have. Not always, but more often than not, there's at least a new opportunity for new information to come to the table when I can just accept who I am, show you who that is, and not respond hatefully to criticism, mm -hmm. but certainly directly and back up um, anything that I've put out there. That's, I, I like that giving yourself and others uh, permission to be themselves. I like that. I, it took me my own journey to recognize that, so I'll just spend a minute here. But my, my biggest journey is through uh, recovery from alcoholism. And so for me, there was so much struggle around my identity, around being a, a very sensitive male, very empathic, uh, but also competitive, and I could play sports and do music, and I did good in school. And so I was multi-abled, but, but I had some woundedness inside of me at the same time. And I was like, man, the world kind of hurts to live in. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't really have the skills. Loving family, but wasn't equipped with those skills to manage that kind of complexity. And so drinking seemed like a good way to go. And it worked for a long time until it didn't. And so then when that stopped working, I needed to find new ways of being myself. And there was all the stuff underneath the surface that had just been laying dormant and waiting for the right kind of attention, really waiting for acceptance, love, to find a way for me to give voice to these parts of myself that had just been saying, Charles, you, you got to let this out or it's going to kill you. And so to be able to talk in these ways that we're communicating now, I didn't have access to that for years and years and years. Wow. So... I, I know I've read this before. How long have you been on your journey of sobriety? So I've been sober for 13 and a half years. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. It's better sober for me. It's been a much better place to, to live. I am. I have definitely, I've talked with you about this, about considering sobriety. Cause so um, digging a little deeper into who I am, um, 
it's not going to be uncommon that you're going to find me belly up at one of the either plaza restaurants at the, the bars or um, around Oklahoma City. It's a, a big part of networking and socializing, and I'm in the art of entertainment. I, I, it's in my personality. It's in my birth chart. Yeah. April, April 12th, if you read that chart, optimism, positivity, entertainment. Um, some would describe me as gregarious. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It just depends <laughs> on. <laughs> right. But I, um, I love to people watch and I love to kind of cut loose and have fun. Work hard, play hard mentality. There might be times where you, you see me out and I'm on my phone the whole time because I'm answering emails or doing something like that. So it's not always about just, just drinking. But I've often wondered if I could, and I think I could, um, live a life of sobriety. And not a lot of people talk about that. Maybe they don't want sobriety or, excuse me, maybe they do. But it's definitely one of my goals, and you'll be the first person that I reach out to when I feel I'm ready. Um, but, yeah, I do wonder what that next step in my life would be like if it was something that was completely sober. I think I'd save a lot of money. <laughs> I think sure. I'd be more of a morning person. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got some goals. I know nobody can see me in this podcast, but I'm, to be completely honest with you, and I'm an open book pushing upwards of about 275 pounds. So I'm a big girl, okay? And I'm not naive to think that um, if I would cut out that aspect, I wouldn't, my, my metabolism would be better. I'd exercise more. And to give you even more context about who I am, <laughs> my wife, who I've been with for seven years, owns her own fitness company and is a personal trainer and competes in CrossFit competitions. I think the saying is true, opposites attract. So we've got, the, we've got the same sense of humor and same optimism and positivity and the things that we enjoy are the same. But she's very regimented in her workout routine, and I'm a workaholic. Mm -hmm. Like, I focus on my work, and then the reward is the, um, you know, the cocktail afterwards or going out and meeting friends. And I think the next big goal for me is figuring out how to, how to do things without alcohol. Yeah. It's not, and I, I want to make this clear too. It's not like I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I've got the shakes. And I've got to start my day with with a glass. No, not like that at all. Um, my and a, a little bit more about me. If you have picked up on this, which surely you have, we're 35 minutes into this. Um, I have inattentive adult ADHD. So anyone who knows me knows that I have a tendency to ramble, and I listen as well as I'll keep a conversation going. But part of kind of shutting that off, if I need to slow down my thoughts, has been with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And the only other time it's really worked is with exercise, like that dopamine being released. Um, but that does make me a little nervous to figure out, like, how, how would I, like, wind down after a long day? Um, I've tried reading books. Um, most recently, I've really gotten into podcasts. And the podcasts I'm into are a bit scandalous. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to learn how to substitute some of these things. And I thought maybe if I packed everything with a, a lot of volunteer work, which I've done in the last two and a half years or so, that would eliminate that desire to still want to go out and have fun. No, I just stay out later and still have to wake up early. Right. So getting a little personal here. Yeah, no, it's, fi <laughs> it's fine. I'm totally but welcome for me, yeah. It's, uh, i I got to figure out how to how to do some of that stuff. And it probably is from my 
childhood. Like I've never, I've only maybe um, gotten just a little bit of help with it, mm -hmm. you know, but mostly I've figured it out on my own. I could probably talk with somebody at some point yeah. and learn a little bit more about myself. Well, totally. And so that's part of the journey, you know, and just having this, I appreciate you bringing this up in the conversation. And so everybody, everybody's journey is different, right? And so for me, those are the things that I found out is that for me, I, de I identify as an alcoholic, which is a very specific set of, of habits and tendencies that I have. I am a pleasure seeker extraordinaire. If it feels good, that is going to counterbalance my life. You know, I am convinced that when that mechanism kicks in in my mind and that feels good, I'm like, ah, you know, finally. Do you, you don't have ADHD, do you? I don't. I, depression and anxiety I have had since really? I was 10 or 11. Yeah. So I, I still carry that. You know, I have episodes of depression and anxiety that come up. And so the thinking mind that won't shut up, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you just need some comfort, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean to me? And so for me, the reason that I talk a lot about self-care is because like, if I don't do it, I'm going to be pleasure-seeking. You know, I'm going to get into those right. habits all the time because I just do. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not as fun. You know? And so I have to do several things. A part of what I've learned about myself is that staying connected. You know, there's an element of escapism for me in, in pleasure-seeking and especially alcoholism. I can't drink now. I'm convinced. So... Um, I abstain. You know, I use the 12 steps as my model. And something had to take that place. Well, a lot of it's authenticity, listening to my body, knowing what's going on in my emotions. Because mm -hmm. I'm an empath. I'm always look. I can tell what other people are feeling and thinking, but I'm like, I'm not keyed into myself, you know? Yeah. In those ways. And so that's been just my own journey. It's been complicated and there's some success and some a lot to learn. But those are some of what decreases the desire to eject and just say, you know what, I'm out of here. And then whatever that behavior or, or whatever that might be, uh, it at least quiets down for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I have, um, so when I was trying to figure out this, my, what I call my squirrel brain, it's kind of a running joke and I'm completely fine with it. So people say squirrel. Um, it, I, I'm not hyperactive because people think, I think a lot of people think of ADHD as someone uh, having a hyper personality. You can sense it in my voice. My voice sounds tired right now because I am tired. <laughs> we're, in the middle of a, <laughs> yeah. we're in the middle of a show run yeah. and we have midnight performances. So wow. it's just, um, you got to still be here at work during the day, but then figuring out that schedule. But um, when I talked to my doctor about, hey, I'm pretty sure this is inattentive adult ADHD. I was diagnosed back in 2000, um, 2011 and only took medicine for a month and then I moved from Iowa to, to Austin, Texas and didn't have health insurance for a while so I never took anything for it for years. One of the things that I've uh, found is they would want to misdiagnose it for um, depression, high-functioning depression, and they would try to put me on other medicine that would make me violently ill mm. and so for me personally and I'm talking about this very openly because I get asked about this a lot I get asked about my orientation how I came out and and what that looks like I get asked about why I love what I do a lot and then I also get asked about when people hear that I have um, ADHD I might have that too how do you know I just had lunch with somebody uh, last week that they wanted to talk about it mm -hmm. and um when I was in corporate world it was very embarrassing and I never brought it up 
because I felt like it was perceived as an excuse because people with inattentive adult ADHD very much struggle with time management, mm -hmm. very bad. But the, the nine to five job I learned wasn't for me and immersing myself in my work and having an employer that allowed me to do that and wasn't upset with me if it took me longer to do something, as long as I got it done by the deadline, I was like, oh my gosh, this role exists and I wish more people that struggled like I do knew that it was okay to talk about it and it's better to talk about it. And I was very, very fortunate in that the woman, she has recently um, left Lyric for uh, another role in higher education. She very much understood um, the importance of talking about mental health and her mom was a psychologist, mm -hmm. is a psychologist. And so she was the first person at any employer that made me feel like it was okay to talk about who I am. So that's made a huge impact on my life. And I don't know if she really realizes that. So if she listens to this, she knows who she is. Um, yeah, it made a huge impact because in almost every review prior to me being at Lyric, the thing that was always brought up is like, Rachel has a hard time being on time. The mundane things do not excite me. And I had to learn that about myself. I needed a job that was not a desk job that I do the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. So I'd find myself being like two minutes late to work pretty consistently. And um, I would take longer to do tasks. I was basically in a call center environment for three of the four years. And then the fourth year I was writing um, training manuals on things like section 125 very dry content that needed to be like 60 pages long and eventually it got to the point in that uh, corporate position where we, it was like this is not a good fit and the, the role at Lyric came up and I guess what I'm getting at in this long rant is if any of this speaks to you and you're listening it's scary thinking about because it was scary for me thinking about leaving a corporate gig that paid me the best I've ever paid ever been paid best benefits, like in, I think in like three years time, I saved up about 40K in my 401K. I mean, I put a lot in. Thinking about going into something like nonprofit was terrifying because I, I told Lyric, um, this is what I have been making, and they very politely said, well, this is what's possible to, to make here, but you might really enjoy it. 1,000% best decision I've ever made in my life, going from corporate to nonprofit. But, um, it wasn't until I took that risk and that all the uncertainty, the financial uncertainty, and the, I remember my, my first review with Lyric, I th here we're gonna talk about time management again, and blah, blah, blah. It didn't even come up. I'm sure that my boss at the time knew that that was something that I struggled with, but I've become more open about it. And this just goes back into being who we are, owning it, mm -hmm. being our authentic selves, because it's important, like we shouldn't have to pretend. It's important to be professional, right? It's important to put our best foot forward and not just be this, you know, kind of a, this is who I am and, and be really out there and kind of sloppy about it, that's not what I mean. But saying, yeah, this is a shortcoming I have, this might be the reason why, but that's not an excuse. So I'm working on it, thanks for your patience and uh, check back with me in a few months and see where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it, it, just having those honest conversations. Again, I appreciate you going there because this is another lens uh, of yourself and your life 
with, um, now describe the, the diagnosis again, adult? Inattentive adult ADHD. Okay, inattentive adult ADHD. And, and your journey of discovery with this and what yeah. this was. And then, again, another area of your life that you, you know, you've chosen to, or had to, regardless, either way, own it, mm-hmm. find a way to accept it, and then communicate honestly with others around you about it. And also finding out that the different roles at work that, that would be effective for you and or ceased being effective for you. Just learning from experience, so much of life as I'm learning, is that you learn what doesn't work. And then yeah. you kind of bump into what does, you know, and you can have a plan, but, you know, we kind of, most of us, we have some ideas about what we want to do and who we want to be, but we gather information as we go, mm-hmm. you know? And so in this, what I'm hearing is coming back to fulfillment, coming back to owning who you are yeah. and, and figuring it out, you know, all of these yep. things, we might be able to wrap it up here and say that for, again, for those listeners, uh, whatever part of the conversation today might've sparked you. I know I'm going to go back and listen to it again uh, because there's information that I can glean from this in my own life, and hopefully you can too. Um, Rachel, in order to for folks that want to contact or uh, stay in touch with you or with the work of Lyric, how, how can they follow along? Sure. I actually do the most business on Instagram. Okay. I know that sounds crazy, but I check that pretty religiously. It's easy. It's Oki Songbird, so that's O-K-I-E-S-O-N-G. B-I-R-D, much like it sounds, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Rachel Linhart on Facebook. And um, if if people want to check out what we're doing here at Lyric, very easy. It's lyrictheaterokc.org. And theater spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. T-R-E, mm-hmm. right. Theatra. Uh-huh, theatra. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you are meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today. <laughs>